Well, you all just keep rolling out that aforementioned white carpet for us, and we, uh, we keep being thankful for that. It is, it is beautiful, and uh, what a beautiful prayer, Liz. Thank you for uh, wherever you are for your gift of, of, of writing that prayer out to the Lord, and it is a great way to continue to usher us into God's presence. And we uh, continue this week in our look at the uh, letter, letter to the Colossians, and so I would uh, invite you now to to join me as we uh, hear uh, what God has to say to us through this letter that Paul has written. Paul writes, He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created. Things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And all you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Last October, uh, when I was here, I had an opportunity, my first opportunity, to, to meet the staff of Zionsville. So we met up in the, in the senior, uh, the youth, the senior high room, and uh, as we were sitting there talking, one of the first things that I said to them, as I recall, was that the summer before my first year at seminary, a good buddy of mine who was also going to the same seminary, he and I went through the catalog in order to try to figure out how few classes on the Bible we could take and still graduate. Now, there were a couple of fairly concerned looks, uh, and, and I get it. I mean, perhaps when you're thinking about a pastor, what you, uh, you want to think about is not, you know, a pastor who, who would prefer not to have to study the Bible. But, and there were many reasons for that, and I won't go into all of that. I, I will quickly say that, that by the time I was done with seminary, my, my passion for the Scriptures had been rekindled enough that I, that I wanted to be able to preach on them. But I do say it this particular morning because I realize that sometimes there are passages 
in scriptures that can kind of get us lost a little bit. Ones that perhaps at first glance at least don't seem all of that interesting or pertinent. And I say that this morning to relieve some of you. I saw kind of as I was reading this a, a glazed eye from a few of you. And I, I realize that, that it's easy for this particular passage to just kind of go right over our heads. It's, it's easy for us to, to not really think about it. And, you know, sometimes I'll get through a, a scripture passage like this and I will have no idea what I had just Read. My mind was off wondering what was going to happen in the, the football game or more likely what I was going to eat for lunch. And before you know it, I'd read a whole verse or passage or chapter or even a book and, and not be able to tell you much of what we've been talking about. And I, I realized that this can be a bit confusing, that sometimes the language can be a bit too poetic perhaps or, or at least seem a bit too theological and we don't really follow what it is that it's saying. But I I want to encourage you here in the next few minutes at least to try and, and focus, to, to try and stop thinking for just a moment who's going to win, Peyton or the Patriots, or, or, or to stop thinking where will you go for lunch, Red Robin or El Rodeo, to stop thinking about that and to just hang with me here for a couple of minutes. Because one of the things that you begin to see as you start to scratch the surface of this particular passage is that these words that Paul writes to the Colossians are actually fairly revolutionary. In fact, for his time, they could have quite easily been treasonous. Paul begins by saying that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Scholars tell us that when people back in this time would have read those words and would have thought of image and God, they would have been thinking about Caesar. You see, Caesar was understood to be a god. Caesar was pushed, actually, by the Roman Empire to be understood as being a god. It was Caesar who provided for you. It was Caesar who gave you meaning in life. It was Caesar who gave you purpose and joy. It was Caesar who you were supposed to worship and to whom you were supposed to give your allegiance. And to make sure you never forgot about Caesar, there were all kinds of images about Caesar, right? It's kind of like the Indianapolis cults, right? And all of the, the paraphernalia, right? The license plates, the bumper stickers, the shirts that you see. Most of you are wearing blue right now. I don't think that's happenstance. You, you still are thinking about the cults. And you see, Caesar, it would have been on the jewelry. It would have been on lamps. It would have been on goblets. It would have been at the games, at the, at the great games, the gladiatorial games. It would have been in all the markets, you remember the story of Jesus when he asked for a coin and who was on the coin? That's right, Caesar. So that everywhere they would go, they would be reminded of Caesar. They would be reminded of who was supposed to be God. They would be reminded of who it was who gave them meaning and purpose. Now, today... Some 2,000 years later, it's kind of hard for us to still really get that. I mean, the reality is, when we think of someone like Caesar, someone in a toga, most of us are thinking about Animal House, the movie Animal House, or some party that we might have gone to that we vaguely recall. 
And so in some ways, it's hard for us to think about that. But the reality is, of course, that today, in our day and age, we still have many, many images. In fact, as I was reading earlier this week, every day the average American sees between five and 12,000 corporate images. Right? So let's look up at one of these, okay? When you see this, what do you think of? Disney, okay? What's the next one? All right. Okay. All right, we got one more. All right, that's my favorite. That's why I put that one up there. Okay. Now, you may notice there was no lettering there. There was no verbiage, nothing written to tell you what it was. But what did you guys know as soon as you saw? You knew exactly what that image was. And the reality, of course, is that those images aren't just telling us where we can get something to eat or something to drink. Those images are selling much more. They are reaching into our emotion. You see, anyone who's ever wrestled with eating can always tell you that food oftentimes is more about just putting something on your mouth, that it oftentimes is there to try to fill up something that might be missing in our lives. Those of us who like to go to Starbucks, we don't just go for a good cup of coffee. We go because there's a sense of community, a sense of belonging. These images are always promising us something more. For much of my life, uh, on and off, I've loved to jog. And so mostly, whenever I've been jogging and gone out to jog, I've been happy to just have gym shorts and some old ratty t-shirt that I've kind of hidden so that my wife can't throw them away. And, so, and that's really worked very well for me. But, but about a year ago now, I, I, I was getting ready. I was actually going to run the, 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 uh, the mini marathon here in Indianapolis, uh, ironically enough. And I said, you know what, I, I, I want to buy something better. So I decided to buy myself some, some running shorts and a running shirt. Nike running shorts and a running shirt. And it was in January. We were in Pennsylvania, so I couldn't go outside. So I went to the Y, and I started running on the treadmill, and I saw an image of me. And I tell you what, I was like a gazelle in the African safari. Now, my guess is I looked more like a hippopotamus running through the African safari. But, but because, and I kid you not about this, I remember it very well. Because I had on this gear and that Nike, I just felt like I had a new purpose. I mean, there was nothing that could stop me. That image reached deep inside of me and pushed me to a different level. And it's not just corporate images either. I mean, think about, for pastors at least, we have images, images of, of Willow Creek Church or a picture of Rick Warren from Saddleback Church. These are huge, flourishing churches that for most pastors we look at and we think, oh, if we could just be there, if we could just be that pastor or serve that church, then we would be joyful, then we would be content. Or, or what about here in suburbia? I was thinking about this the other day. Oftentimes, I've actually, I actually think about this. In many back windows you'll see in suburbia, my guess is you have them here too. You, you'll see the little stick figures, right? What do those little stick figures tell us, right? You got a dad there, you got a mom, you got three kids. That, that's all fine. 
But I sometimes wonder, for people who are driving around, perhaps someone who, who had always wanted to be married and couldn't, or, or perhaps someone who's gone through a divorce, or someone who, who hoped that they could have children, if when they see those images, if there isn't something within them that begins to, to question again, something that already kind of taps in and says, my meaning, my purpose was supposed to come, and, and having this perfect family, and it's, it's not there. And I've, I've wondered whether or not it doesn't start kind of feeding into their, their weaknesses, start feeding into those, those questions. Of, of who is it? What, what is it about me? What is it about my life that gives me purpose or meaning? Now, hear me. I'm not saying that you should drive around with your eyes closed so that you don't see any of those images or, or that I don't want to see anybody out there after service with a razor trying to tear off your little stick people. That, that's not what I'm saying. But I do think that we as Christians have to be alert we have to be cognizant. How many of you could have told me that you think you see thousands of images every day? And to be thinking about what do those images do for us and to be continually asking, are those images in any way, what they're representing, are they trying to fill a role in my life that is supposed to be filled only by the image of the invisible God, only by Jesus? We as Christians have to be alert in this day and age to the images of Caesar that are always there ready to pounce. We are, to put it in ZPC lingo, called to have hearts for Christ alone. So Paul here begins by talking about the centrality of Jesus in our lives. But he doesn't stop there. Liz kind of touched on this in her prayer, that he goes on to say, not only is Jesus supposed to be central to our lives, but actually, through Jesus and for Jesus, all of the world was created. In fact, all of the world is held together by whom? Jesus. Now, that's pretty big, and there's lots of places to go with that, but let me just kind of briefly touch on two. The first one, very briefly, which is simply to say that what this means is that the kingdom of Jesus and Jesus' reign is not just about what happens here or at home, but is about what happens everywhere, at work, where you work out, where you vacation, where you eat. There is no part of your life that Jesus should not touch. Wherever you go, God is already there and is looking for you to join him and what he is doing there. But I think more significantly for us this morning, one of the things that that means is that Jesus is also that or he who holds the whole church together. In fact, Paul says that Jesus is the head and that we, the church, are the body. Now, that may not seem like that big of a deal. And you may think, well, what's the big deal about that? I mean, sure, yes, of course Jesus holds the church together. I mean, that's something you can learn in Sunday school. I don't understand. But, but here's, here's the reality. If you're saying that Jesus holds the church together and only Jesus, that means that nothing else can hold the church together together. Richard Christensen points out that that means that past shared experience or the way you worship or even necessarily liking the people is not what holds the church together. What holds the church together? 
so what you're saying then, Jerry, is it's not the pastor. It's not whether or not people have stayed or left in difficult times. It's not what particular political party you are a part of. No, it is who? It is Jesus and Jesus alone who holds the church together. And all too often, it is easy to allow other things or other people to take precedence. But it is Jesus and Jesus alone who holds the church together. That is not easy. Sometimes we don't really think about it. I I want you to think right now in your head about somebody, perhaps even in this very room, who you don't really like all that much. Don't look at them, (laughs) especially if it's your spouse, right? Okay? If you're a visitor here with us, trust me, there will be somebody here you won't like. And I want you to know But that person being here is not just bad luck for you. That person is here for a reason. He or she is here in order to teach you what it really means to be held together by Jesus and Jesus alone. If you liked everybody in this room, if you agreed with everybody in this church, then you would not have to figure out what it really means to be held together, not by what you like or dislike, but by Jesus and Jesus alone. And what we have to begin to see is that this church is like a gym. It is like a practice field for you to learn what it means to be held together by Jesus alone. You see, you have to remember the audience to whom Paul is writing this. This is not written to somebody named Jimmy Colossians. This is written to a community because it is only in community that you have to begin to practice what it means to be held together by Jesus. Now, I love basketball. This seems perfect for Indiana. And I I, I loved, whenever I was growing up, I loved to play basketball. I loved everything about basketball except for one thing. Practice. I hated practice. Because you see, the problem with practice is that for most of the time, you're not actually playing basketball. What are you doing? Well, at least when I was growing up at practice, here's what we did. We shot layup after layup after layup. And we were done shooting layup, and we were saying, okay, great, can we scrimmage now? We didn't even have a basketball because we were just supposed to shuffle, right? You remember shuffling, practicing your defense? And when we were done with that, we got the basketball back. We said, oh, great. And then we got to practice passing, chest pass, bounce pass, chest pass. It was so boring. And all we wanted to do was play a game. But one of the things that we discovered, even though I didn't like it, was that because we did that, when we got out into an actual game against actual other teams, the layups came easily. The defense came pretty easily. The passes started working, and we started to win games only because we spent the time doing these tedious, hard drills with our own teammates. And it would not have happened had we not done that. And here's something I want you to know. 
That when you have somebody in this church with whom you disagree and you decide to love them rather than just getting angry, you are hitting a layup for the Lord. When somebody does something to you that is wrong and you have to forgive them, when you actually forgive them, you are hitting a jump shot for Jesus. When somebody comes in whom you have not seen for a while and you decide that rather than being angry about that, you welcome them with open arms, you are setting a screen for the Savior. That one took a little while to come up with. You are practicing here in this community so that you can learn what it means to be the redeemed, reconciled people of God, so that you can learn what it means to reflect the image of the invisible God, so that when you go out into the world, you are ready. You see, what that means is that when you're out in the world, in the workforce, and there will always be people with whom you work who you do not like, you can treat them with love because you have been practicing it right here. When you're out with your close group of friends, many of whom perhaps are not followers of Jesus, and someone needs to be forgiven, you can forgive easily and with grace because you have been practicing it here. When you're sitting at home and you know there's a neighbor out there whom you are called to love and to be hospitable, even when you don't want to, you you are able to do it easily because you have welcomed people here even when you did not want to. You may not like the people next to you right now, but they are your teammates. And they are there to help you be shaped into the people we have been called to be for Christ. Sisters and brothers in Christ, we are called, first of all, to be allegiant to Jesus and to Jesus alone. The image of the invisible God. But I am convinced we cannot do that alone. Instead, we must find ourselves in communities like this, communities where there will oftentimes be struggles and challenges that are things not to flee from, quite frankly, but things to be shaped by so that we can be shaped into understanding what it means to be held together by Jesus alone so that when we go out into the world, into a world where there are thousands of images that are trying to gain acceptance, that are trying to say your meaning and your purpose come from this, that we can go out as God's people, as the image bearers of Christ. And to say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the one who will give you meaning and purpose and hope in this world. Are we willing to be the people like that who are shaped into being the image of God? It will take prayer. It will take commitment. But with the power of Christ... I am convinced that we can be the image of God throughout this community and throughout the world.
May we learn together. And may Jesus Christ and he alone be glorified. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen.